so you don't get to say hi to each other. Say hi after. That's what we'll do. Uh, Two things. Mark uh, doing music this morning. I was talking to my wife a couple days ago, and I go, I am so glad that Mark actually works part-time for us right now because, like, the last three weeks, every person who is leading has been sick in one way or another. It's like, hey, Mark, it's Saturday. Need you to lead tomorrow. You know, and so he's like, okay. So he comes. And then yesterday, uh, they're doing the first uh, day of of redemption groups for this session, and they were in here all day, and Mark's like, can't practice. He's like, ah! (laughs) It's just... Trooper, I love Mark. I think he's it's great. It's great. <laughs> uh, second thing is this: the, the county has pulled back their mask mandates. But uh, if you are someone who feels like you still want to wear a mask, please feel free to do so. Okay, don't let if if nobody else is and you do, please don't feel awkward or worried about that. If you want to wear one, feel free. Go ahead. I just want to throw that out there. Uh, Welcome to Element. If you are new, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. On the communion tables throughout the room, there are sermon notes, and they look like this. On the left side, you're going to get a half-page recap of what we talk about today. On the right-hand side, you're going to get some questions to talk to uh, your family, your friends, your gospel community about. On the back, you've got verses that we're covering today, and underneath that, there's a place for notes. If you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. Once you download loaded it just as Bible, uh, but in there you can click on more and then events will come up by GPS in your smart device and you will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, and everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word? I suppose we should also pray that we have no more technical difficulties today, but uh, this is James chapter 1 verse 22 and it says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Let's pray. Father, today we ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who actually live out the things that we say we believe. That we would be doers, not in the sense that doing these things makes you love us or accept us anymore, but we do them simply because we understand your great love for us. So teach us to live out our lives in ways that glorify you as we live in the call that you have placed within us. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are doing this series through the New Testament book of James. It is often misunderstood. Uh, This is week seven. We are still in chapter one. And I say uh, that James is Jesus' half-brother. And I've said that a couple times, and I just want to explain that. So Mary, uh, Jesus' mom, Jesus was born of a virgin. The Holy Spirit overshadows her, and, and that's how she becomes pregnant. But Joseph still would have adopted Jesus as his son. And when I say that James is Jesus' half-brother, that's only in the sense of biology, because in that culture, when you were adopted, you were a son. And James would not have seen Jesus as his half-brother. He just would have seen Jesus as his brother. So let me just throw it out there. Now, uh, James is probably one of the, if not the most early New Testament book ever written probably takes place before Acts chapter 15 came about. And James is really this fascinating study of what it looks like for these early Christians that were Jews their entire lives to begin to believe in Jesus and how that begins to practically live out in their lives. In my opinion, I think it is a beautiful beautiful book of grace, of practicality as these people live out their lives with Jesus as the Messiah that as Messiah, the one who has fulfilled all of God's promises to his people. Now open your Bibles to James chapter 1. It's on page 654 if you have an element Bible. And today we're going to come to a place where James has dealt with 
trials that we've been through. Uh, he's going to talk about what they really mean. He's talked about faith and doubt. He's talked about God's good gifts. He has talked about having a lot and then having nothing. He's talked about temptations that we face. Last week, we talked about what it means to be slow to anger and slow to speak, but very quick to listen, especially what God says. And that moves us into places where we trust and understand the words of God. Uh, we see how this leads to be born again. James 1.18 says, Of his own will he, God, brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And that's the idea of being born again, the first fruits of what God is doing. James 1.21, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rapid wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And that's what the word of God produces because of the gospel. We are remade, we are renewed, we are brought to God, we are born again. And so they're making this connection between the word of God, being born again, the new life in us, how that then gets lived out. Uh, Galatians 2.20, the apostle Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When we humbly come to God's words, when we understand the things that he has said, we, we study it, it invigorates us. It leads us to live this new life that looks different than we ever have before. But now what James is going to do in the book is he's going to move from hearing and believing to actually living that out now in our lives. What does it mean to live that out? And this comes the controversy now in the book. And we're going to hit this multiple times because there are people who say that James is now saying that you are saved by your works. You are saved by the things that you do. You have to work your way to God. And that is not what James is saying at all. We are not saved by our works. But we will, as we get into later weeks, talk about this, that we will begin to live out our great salvation. How wonderful we see it in Christ. We'll begin to live that out in our lives, and our lives will look different. So let me read the section we're going through today, and then we'll talk about it. James 1, to 25 says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, there are some people who take these words and it goes into what we call American prosperity theology because they think, oh, look, you do these things and then you get blessed. That is untrue and, and kind of true, depending on how you look at it. It's untrue in the sense that when we do these things, people hear the word blessed, they think, oh, God's going to bless me the way that I want to be blessed. He's going to give me everything I want. That's not what James is saying. It's true in the sense that we will be blessed in the sense that we get to live in God's call. We get to live in God's blessing that we get to represent Jesus to the world. We are so messed up, and yet God sends us out to be his hands and feet, his ambassadors to the world. That's the blessing we get, that God would use us to proclaim this unending message of his gospel to the world that is around us, even with our messed up lives. So here James is going to move from move to doing and living out our lives, what God is actually doing in us, and he's going to juxtapose two different examples. And in those examples, you're going to see the wrong example and the right example. One of them looks in a mirror, sees what God does, and they just walk away, and the other person looks and then keeps on looking. There's actually this parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 21, verses 28 to 32, and this is what he says. 
this. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I will go, sir. But he did not go. So here's Jesus' question. Which of the two did the will of his father? Which one? The first two of you. Great. The one that went. That's, that's who did the will of his father. And so Jesus says to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. So Jesus is talking to the religious leaders. They had looked into the word of God, this, this mirror, so to speak. And they looked at it and saw it and kind of memorized it and then kind of went on with their own lives, living in their own religiosity. The other ones, those, those prostitutes and those tax collectors, they at first were living their lives, didn't care about God at all, and then they saw their lives, what they were like, and God's great grace and his rescue in them, and they were totally undone. And they followed him their lives because of the grace that they have received. And this is kind of where James is going to go. We're going to talk about these two types of people. So first, with this metaphor, I'm going to give you the bad news first, because I always like the bad news for the good news. I want to take, like, eat the salad before I get the pizza. Some of my life. Okay, so here's the wrong example. Uh, James 1, 23 and 24 says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Now, forgets what he was like. This is, we forget who we were before Christ saved us. What God kind of does an amazing work in our lives, and hey, I'm great, we stop looking to him. Now, this is a work that God does, that James has said, through his implanted word in our lives. This is someone who did a very good thing. They listened from what we talked about last week. Quick to listen, but then they forgot. And if there's a lot of people like this in our world today, I'm not saying this is you, but if it's you, put the shoe on if it fits. Our society tends to only listen so long before we start to tune people out, when people start to sound like Charlie Brown's parents, wonk, 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 wonk. Or what we do is we listen to some things people are saying, maybe in some things in the scripture, and we say, oh, this is so great, this is so wonderful, oh, but we never actually live it out. We just say, oh, bless you, praise the Lord, but we don't actually live the life that God calls us to. See, what James is saying, it's not just the listening that's important. It is not just the learning that's important. It is doing what we have learned and know to be true. In the very first verses in James, it talks about being steadfast. We become steadfast as we understand what God has done to rescue and save us in the midst of our trials. Now, in the ancient world, they did not have mirrors like we have today. So when I say a mirror, James says a mirror, you can't just think of, a mirror, because a mirror in that day would have been a piece of metal that was polished enough to see your reflection in. So you'd have to look kind of intently to see yourself in that. So it'd be like bronze, and it could be silver. If you had a lot of money, it could be polished gold. But people did not even have mirrors everywhere like we do today. Like today, you can go to the most in the middle of nowhere place, find the nastiest gas station with the nastiest bathroom, and there will be a mirror of some sort in there. Sure, there's graffiti on it, and there's a bunch of phone numbers. Do not call those phone numbers. <laughs> But there's a mirror. You can walk in and, and you can see that. And, and most people in James's day did not know what they truly looked like, like we do today. Like you, they would never see those wild hairs going out of their nose or their ears or their eyebrows like you snorted an albino cat. They would never see those things. But in Roman times, actually, they probably looked pretty darn bad. And they didn't even know it because they didn't have a mirror that kind of reflected like we do. We glamorize Roman, Roman times. But 
man, they probably looked really bad. Today, mirrors let us, let us see ourselves much more clearly what we actually look like. And when this is written in Greek, it's the idea, who are you really? What is the reflection that you are looking at? Uh, James' literal translation is the face of our birth. Uh, James Rope says the face that nature gave him. And the whole idea is the longer you look, the more that you will see. Not that's about being self-centered. It's about looking to see who your life is with what God has done. Uh, Kent Hughes tells this story of a missionary in a third world country in the middle of the 20th century. And this missionary, he's shaving. And so he's looking at himself in the mirror and shaving. And a witch doctor walks by behind him like, and she's like, ah! And so she starts trying to negotiate to buy this mirror from him. And he's like, no, 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 I don't want to. And so he says, I'll just give it to you because he wants to make a connection. As soon as the witch doctor gets the mirror, she throws it on the ground and she yells at the mirror, you won't be making those ugly faces at me anymore. Because she didn't know it was her reflection. Now, so what James is saying so far in this metaphor, the trials we go through, when we read the word of God, God holds a mirror up to our hearts and our souls and it lets us see who we really are. And so often we don't want to see who we are. We want to glance and walk away. But James is saying, you must look, you must understand who you are, who you have been without the grace of God in your life. It's it's grace that God gives us these mirrors and opportunities to see who we really are. Because when we realize who we are, we see the depths of our sin and also the grace that God has given to us, that God lifts us back up to who we were meant to be. So in this, those mirrors not only shows us ourselves, but it shows us who God is. One writer says this, these two reflections of self and of God pave the way to seeing the necessity and way of salvation. And so James says, even as people who believe in Christ, we need to also be careful because sometimes we think, oh, I looked once. I never need to look again. I don't have to deal with that. And James is saying, no, you need to understand every day what you were saved and rescued from. Some people will go and they'll take that mirror of God's word and they will memorize it. And when they memorize it, they think, okay, I got it all. That's all I need to do. I know some people who have memorized great chunks of the Bible and they are total jerks because they're not living out the things in the Bible. The accumulation of biblical knowledge is not how we are just supposed to live. I know all this stuff. I know all the trivia. We are supposed to live out what we know to be true. Uh, Chuck Swindoll, over 40 years ago, after I first became a Christian, it's one of the first books I read. It was called Improving Your Serve. And in this book, he gives this great illustration. I'm going to condense it, and I'm going to update it a little bit. But this is his illustration. He says, let's pretend that you work for me as my executive assistant. And I own a company, and it's just growing rapidly. It's going gangbusters. And I decide that I want to expand overseas. So to pull this off, I'm going to have to travel overseas, and I need to leave someone in charge here to oversee what's going on in this place. So I make these arrangements to move my family for six to eight months overseas to do this, and I'm going to leave you in charge of the stateside organization, but I'm not just going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you letters and instructions of things I I need you to do. So I leave, and then I go away, and months pass, and I send letters to you that are received by you at the national headquarters, and then after a year, I finally come home. And as I'm driving down the road back to our offices, I notice there's like weeds everywhere. What's going on? And I pull around to the front and there's trash outside. Some of the windows are cracked and broken. I'm like, this is weird. So I walk inside and there's the receptionist and she's doing her nails and chewing gum and listening to a podcast. Doesn't even acknowledge me as the owner of the company. And I look around, there's like trash in the bins and the carpet hasn't been vacuumed for, for months. And I'm like, oh, well, where's my executive assistant? And someone in lounge pants is like, oh, the probably over there so I go walking over there and as I do I bump into you you know my executive assistant as you're finishing your words with friends or your wordle game 
And I say, and I say, hey, step into my office. So we step into my office, which you have conveniently turned into a game room. And I say, what in the world is going on at this company? And you go, what do you mean? And I say, look at this place. Didn't you get my letters? I wrote you letters about all this stuff. And you're like, oh, yeah, your letters. Oh, your letters are great. There's some really good stuff in there. We get all of the staff together every Friday, and we talk about your letters. We even break some of the staff into small groups and make them talk about your letters. Some people on staff have even memorized a sentence or two. We have like one guy memorized a whole letter. It's pretty amazing. There's some great stuff in there. And I say, okay, you got my letters. You studied them. You meditated on them. You broke people into little groups to talk about them and memorize them. But what did you do about them? What did you do? And you go, oh, we didn't do anything. We just read them and memorized them. This is what James is saying. That we are a people many times who memorize the stuff in the scriptures, but we don't even begin to live it out. And don't misunderstand me. We should read the mirror of God's word. We should study it. We should spend time in it. But just by doing that doesn't mean we're actually living it out. James says, James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. It is absurd to think that if we read God's words, he doesn't actually want us to do and live in what he says. At the very least, James says, we are self deceived. See, when James says, look in the mirror, again, that is an attentive scrutiny to detail because in those mirrors, you had to look really hard to see yourself and see what was going on in your reflection. And so in this, it's a person who maybe has seen themselves, glimpsed God in salvation, but yet after looking, they just kind of walk away and no longer think about that salvation. This is like today when people preach, oh, did you get your fire insurance? Oh, did you say one and done? No, it's a, the, James is saying people who do that don't understand what it means to walk and live in the word that, James, that Jesus is calling us to. And guys, I get, looking in a mirror, it, it is not always fun. I got to look at this every day, so it's, it's not great. But forgetting what we look like, spiritually speaking, is catastrophic. And this is why James keeps telling us that the word of God and the trials we go through is a mirror that holds up who we are. So we must be willing to look at it. So James is saying, we must see the truth. We must begin to walk and live in that truth because if we don't, it's no more lasting benefit than if you're running out the door in the morning, you barely glance at yourself in the mirror and you're out the door and then at four o'clock you go to the bathroom and you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I went out like that. Okay, happened to me, whatever. Okay, so what then is the good example, the right example, the positive example? So this is what James says, James 1.25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, that translates as freedom, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, will be blessed in his doing. Now, it's not that the second person is like a, a better hearer or listener than anybody else. You all know those kids in school and they drive you crazy. But this person, what it says is they persevere. And what that word means here is continues. They continue. It's like someone is, imagine this is a table with a mirror on it and I got a light. It is someone who is bent over and just looking and looking for those pores and those stray hairs and all those things. The older you get, the bright lights and the magnifying mirrors become much more important. Just letting you know. And so this, the first person has some scrutiny. They're looking to see themselves, but the second person, what they do is they keep on looking. They keep on looking. Now, what's really cool about the word that James uses here for look, it's the same word that is used after Jesus rises from the grave and people are going to the tomb to look and see if they can see that Jesus rose from the grave. In John 20, verses 3 through 5, it says, So Peter went out with the other disciple. The other disciple is John. Uh, that's who's writing that gospel account. And they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And I kind of love that, that forever, you know, John is like, I run faster than Peter. I just want you to know. Verse five, and stooping to look in, that's the word. 
He saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Uh, Mary Magdalene, same thing, uh, chapter 20, verse 11 of John. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. That word there for look, it is a look that absorbs you. So what does James say that we are to be looking at? He says the perfect law, the law of liberty. That means the law, the law that brings freedom, which is the word of truth from verse 18 and the word implanted in you from verse 21. And this is how the whole book fits together. It's not just sound bites. This whole book of James, each thing is going to reference each other as it goes through. The first person doesn't keep on looking. What they do is they walk away. One writer says it's like our hearts are like Teflon nonstick pans and everything just from God seems to slide off of them. Now, what we tend to remember in our lives is all the negative and terrible things. Like, but we don't remember the things that, that God has said. We remember the garbage that other people have said. Like I've had people say to me, uh, I can't believe what my dad said to me or my mom said to me or my boss said to me or my spouse when they left or my friends or, or a million other things in our lives. It's like we remember all these things. But what the gospel does is the gospel just seems to slide off our hearts. We don't remember it at all. And everything that we should not let affect us does. And the gospel, which should be the only thing that teaches us how to live and walk in this world, just slides off of us. We tend to think, oh, God failed, and we hold on to that rather than seeing all the ways that God himself has been faithful. See, God himself is the one who never lets us down, the one who has brought us back to himself, and yet we tend to forget that all the time. The Bible says our hearts are so twisted that we tend to remember the ugly and harmful and bad things, not in the correct way, but all the wonderful things that God has said we forget. And the Bible tells us this over and over again. We so easily forget, and we forget that we so easily forget. And yet one person comes up to you one time, and they say, seat's taken, you're ugly, everybody hates you, and you will hold on to that the rest of your life. James says there's a tremendous need for a certain intensity when it comes to understanding the scriptures and what God calls us to in our lives, getting the truth of that in us because our heart is naturally allergic to the truth. And there are people in this world who tell you, you just need to follow your heart. That is a terrible idea. The book of Jeremiah tells you, your heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. You will never understand your heart. Our hearts tell us lies about ourselves. They tell us lies about God. They tell us lies about one another. Our hearts don't want us to see ourselves in the mirror as we truly are. Our hearts don't want us to see God as he truly is. And so we forget. And we forget that we're going to forget. It's like we have to remind ourselves, intensely remind ourselves and fight, set up our lives in a way that we remember what the gospel is and who God is and what he has done because the natural tendency is to forget the truth. What do we do? James says, the one who looks in, uh, into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You're not saved by your works, but as we follow God and trust him and live out these things in our lives, it's gonna keep bringing us back to the place where we realize we trust God himself. This is the illustration James is giving. I mean, you want to follow and do what, what God says to do? The image is not legalism. 
It's not, I got my marching orders, now I'm going to off and do it. I, I looked in a mirror, and so now I'm going to do the things that the mirror told me to do. Mirror, mirror on the wall. What are the things I got to do to be better than all? It, it's not like that. James says, you look in the mirror, you get some truth, but if you go off and try and do it on your own, you're going to forget. So what do you do? You take the mirror with you. And I can't remember who said that, but I wrote it down. I've been waiting seven weeks to tell you this. We take the mirror with us. We never stop looking. Willpower is not enough. Trying harder is not enough. You look and you look and you look and you look. And what are we looking at? We're looking at the gospel. And this is the reason that element, we keep trying to connect you guys in gospel communities, communities that understand the gospel enough to remind one another of the gospel. <sighs> okay. <laughs> Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, you get a guy named Stephen. Uh, he's the first deacon in the church that is actually executed. He is talking to a group of religious leaders, and he's explaining the gospel, and in the end, he's going to be executed because he believes in Jesus as the Messiah. And the person who oversees it is a guy named Saul, who become the Apostle Paul. Now, Stephen faces execution, and he will do it with poise and patience. How does he do that? Well, he doesn't just say, I'm a Christian, therefore I'm going to be calm and carry on. This is what he says, Acts 7, verse 56. This is right before he is killed. It says, and he said, behold, I see, he's looking, the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. It says he looked. And he sees a vision of Jesus standing. He sees the glory of God. I think the progression there is really important. It's not that he had a vision and then he looked. It's he was looking and then he saw what God was doing in his life right there. For what we're talking about today, and yes, maybe I'm looking a little too much into it. There's my pun for you. But Stephen doesn't say, I'm going to be good. I'm going to be loving. I'm going to be forgiving. I'm going to walk through this. What he does is he looked and he spoke about Christ. And as he did, he remembered the gospel and what Jesus did and he kept speaking it. He remembers who God is. He takes the mirror with him and that allows him at the point where he is killed to still do it in a state of grace because he's looking. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6 is this thing called the Sermon on the Mount, well, probably the best sermon ever preached. We went through it. took us a year to get through it. That's how good Jesus' words are and how slow I am. But anyway, in Matthew 6, 25, this is what Jesus says. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. Now, in one sense, that's kind of a command, you know, but what does it mean? Do we, that mean we just say, oh, I'm a Christian, and therefore I'm not going to be anxious or worried or afraid anymore. No, you're not called to be like the cowardly lion in the Wizard of Oz and be like, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid, I'm not a coward. That's not what we do. Jesus tells us where we're supposed to look. Matthew 6, 26, he says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, I mean anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What is he telling you to look at? God. You trust him. He knows your life. He has his hands on your life. So you trust him. When there are, uh, Jesus is not saying you're never going to be anxious or worried or afraid. 
But many times when we get overwhelmed by those, it's because we are focusing on ourselves and those things and not upon him. What do we need to look at? What do we need to remember? Remember what God has done. We take the mirror with us. We keep looking at what God has done. We repeat and we remember this to one another. Okay, so then what do we do? We look at what Jesus did. What did Jesus do for us? Jesus lives the life that we all should have lived, and yet none of us do. We have all run in rebellion against God. We have run from him. We have sinned. And so Jesus lives the life that we should have lived, and he imparts that righteousness of his life to us. We all deserve to die because of our sin. Jesus dies our death in our place. And the heavens wept, and the earth quakes, and the promise of the gospel at Jesus' death becomes the reality of the gospel. The gospel becomes that good news. We look at what God has done for us. How do we think God could ever forget us the way we forget him? He doesn't. He doesn't. When we are a people who don't truly look at him, we start running off in all these other directions. And we are a people who must repeat and remember what God has done. This is why element every week. You could probably even tie up half my messages for me because we get to the end and I talk about the gospel every single week. I want to pound it into your heads. I want to burn it in your hearts and souls so that you can be those who speak it to one another because we must. We must remember what God has done. That's the mirror we take with us. We don't just say, oh, I'm going to be faithful. I'm not going to be anxious. We look at the truth and we continue to look at the truth continue. We learn to integrate our theology in our life because our lives are going to be lived out by what we actually believe deep down in our hearts and our souls. We will live out what we believe. It just happens like that. And so when we begin to live out what the gospel is in our lives, James says, you will begin to be blessed because you begin to live that way, that perfect law that gives freedom. What we're supposed to see is that the more we trust and actually obey, the more we become who God made us to be. And the more we become who God made us to be, the more free we will actually be. It's like a, it's like a fish. A fish is only free when it's in water because it's made for water. It's like a kite is only free when it's tethered by a string. That's how it flies. And we are only free to the degree that we are living as God made us to live. We must understand that. We do not obey through willpower. We obey as a people who humbly offer ourselves under his grace, that he has first saved us, that he has first rescued us, that he has first loved us. Even in the places where we are total moral failures, God still comes in that place and he calls us back to himself. When we deal with all of life by living in humble relational trust of God himself, we will be by default taking the mirror with us. And guys, I know it, it is not easy to do. It is not. But this is why, excuse me, this is why we need people around us in community to keep reminding us of the mirror. We were never meant to live this life on our own. And yet too many of us today try to do that. And when we live on our own, we're being constantly pulled away from the truth. This is why we bind ourselves to one another in relationships that are not easy all the time, that many times they are difficult, but we remind ourselves, and if you are not in a gospel community and you just think it sounds kind of weird, you're kind of worried about it, at least gather some friends around you and talk about what the gospel is and say, I need you to remind me of this. In the places where I get crazy and self-centered and out of control, I need you to remind me of the gospel. I need to be in a relationship with people who do that with me. Teach me how to look in the mirror. Remind me to look in the mirror because there is freedom for those who do it. And we will be blessed in what we do. 
So what's the gospel? I'm not going to call on you. Don't worry. Okay. You're like, oh my goodness, he's asking a question. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> the gospel is that Jesus lived the life that we all were called to live, but none of us could. We have, we have all sinned before a good and holy and eternal God, and therefore our sins are eternal sins. And so what Jesus does is he comes and he lives that life that we should have lived, but we never could. And in him living that life, he imparts that righteousness to us as we believe in him. He dies for our sin on the cross, all that separated us from God and us from one another. And then he raises to new life. Like when James talks about these first fruits, right? We then get to be those first fruits who are brought back to new life. The gospel is the announcement of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It is the announcement of good news that God came to save us, to rescue us. And it's not based on our merit. It is based upon God's grace and love and his goodness. And so we get to live a new life. There's the gospel. We need to remember that. We need to remind one another of that. And everything else that comes, how our lives are changed, how God bestows all this grace and blessing on us, those are all results of the gospel. But the gospel is that announcement of God's great rescue of us. We need to remind one another of that. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And as they do, I'm going to invite you guys this morning to take communion. Now, communion, there's nothing mysterious or magical about communion. I know in some religious traditions there are. But Jesus says you do this in remembrance of me. It's a reminder of what the gospel is. This is why you take that cracker and you break it like Christ's body was broken for us, and you drink the grape juice. It's a reminder. We remind ourselves that Christ died for us in our place. His blood was shed for us because our blood is tainted with sin. Our blood can't pay for our own sins. And so we remember what the gospel is and what Christ did to rescue us. That's communion. It's a remembering and a reminding. Why? Because we need it. Because so often we forget. And so we do this and remind ourselves. And if you are someone today who needs prayer, maybe you need to be reminded of what the gospel truly is and you kind of run off on your own, talk to Justine at the Welcome Center. She will connect you with one of us, and we'd love to pray with you about that. Maybe if you have all these things in your life that are overwhelming you and you're not taking the mirror with you anywhere and you want to know what that looks like, talk to her. She'll connect you. We'd love to pray and talk with you about that. The good news of God's great rescue of us. Because our God is good. He is good. We have offering boxes next to every door, and we give because God gave so much to us to save us. We do not pass a plate. It's always a response to what God has done. And I do encourage you to grab some of those sermon notes and talk to some friends or family or a gospel community and walk through those things and remind one another what the gospel is, especially when you see someone go through something hard and the gospel seems to go, and they forget it in the midst of their situation. We must remind one another what the mirror is, who we are, who God is, and the great grace that we have all received because of God's great mercy for us. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would teach us to be a people who remember what the gospel is, what it truly is. And it's not about us doing better. It is about you rescuing us in the worst places of our lives. It's about you drawing us to yourself. It's about you remaking us new. 
these first fruits, all these results of what you've done. But have us remember what the gospel truly is. It's that announcement of your salvation over us, that Jesus come, lived, died, rose from the grave, and offered his righteousness to us as a gift. And when our lives get so out of whack and we want to focus on all these other things, bring us back to the place of remembering what you have done to save us. And then teach us how then to live out our lives in ways that reflect who you are. That we would then be able to those who get to make that gospel announcement to those around us. That we have a great God who has made everything, including us, And he loves us and saved us where we are, but God, you do not leave us as we are. You change us and you grow us and conform us more to the image and likeness of your son. Teach us to be those who take that mirror with us and walk in the great saving grace that we have received. Amen. I'm going to ask Phil to drop the blinds. And as he does, take a couple moments and just think about, do you have friends in your life right now that remind you of the gospel? That you've given permission in your life when you are just going sideways, that they can step into your life and they can remind you of what God has done. And do you understand the depth of that goodness of what God has done to the point that it would reset you? be like, oh yeah, my life is not about me. My life is about this God who has rescued and saved me. And my life will only make sense when it is found in him. Maybe you today are just so overwhelmed by everything that's going on in our world that you're so distracted and pulled away from the reality of the gospel. Well, right now, take a few moments and ask God to hold up that mirror to show you you. And that in turn, seeing that reflection, you would then begin to live out the truth of the gospel in your life. That we would be undone by God's great goodness to us. And that he would be our vision for everything.